1972 Summer Olympics held in Munich, West Germany, will always be known for the Munich Massacre, in which 11 Israeli athletes and coaches, one West German police officer, and five terrorists were killed. It was being promoted as the Happy Games, but will always be remembered as the Tragic Games. In spite of this, the athletic contest went on, and it was an amazing display from some of the world's greatest athletes. Here's a few things you might remember from those Olympics. The great American miler, Jim Ryan, was tripped with, by another competitor, or tripped with another competitor in a heat of the 1500 and did not qualify for the finals. Uh, we had the great seven wins by Mark Spitz in swimming. And the 1972 Olympic basketball gold medal game was one of the most controversial in all of Olympic history and the first loss by Team USA since they added it in 1936. The USA team had won all seven previous Olympics and were poised to win another, eventually losing to a Soviet Union squad in a confusing triple ending to the game. Names like Olga Corbett and Dave Waddle and Frank Shorter and Dan Grable became household names at that time. I was 16 year old. I was a 16-year-old at the time, a sophomore in high school, and there was one athlete in particular that I wanted to keep an eye on. His name was Bob Segrin, and like me, Bob was a pole vaulter. In the, in the Olympics in Mexico City four years earlier, he had won the gold medal in an exciting competition where the top three vaulters all cleared the same height of 17 foot, 8 inches. Four years later, he's best known for the Olympic gold medal that he did not win. In a last-second ruling, they barred the type of pole that he used. They said it was not, they had not done enough tests. It was not the right pole to be used. And in a, in a sport that is so amazingly technical, you cannot take away the one thing that this man is going to run down and vault himself almost 20 feet in the air on and say, here, use another. So he and a number of other competitors had to drop back and use poles that were old and unfamiliar with them. So as a result, uh, East German Wolfgang... Uh, von, uh, von something, Wolfgang, uh, won the competition with a vault of 18 feet, and our guy came in second with a vault of 17 foot 8. It was the first time an American had not won the pole vault competition. My 16-year-old friend Paul and I swore that that would never happen again, that we would be the next great Olympic pole vault champions. So we dedicated ourselves to doing everything we could do so that four years later in Montreal, Canada, we would be the ones that would be standing on that gold medal podium. We got, checked out books from the library. We read all the techniques and the strategies of good pole vaulters. We were able to get a hold of some still shots of, of pole vaulters in motion. It wasn't like today where you can go on YouTube and Google and watch video after video. That wasn't there. But we'd watch the technique. We'd study what they did in each phase of a vault. And then we went out and we vaulted. And we vaulted every day and we practiced and we practiced day after day. And we weren't bad. But alas, 
our dream of Olympic gold ended with the sad realization that we did not have what it took athletically to be a pole vault champion. Now, interesting, but I went on to study physical education. And I took all the knowledge that I had learned specifically in track and field and pole vault and high jump. And I was able then to go be a coach for years and years. And I took that and I passed along what I knew, what I had learned, what I had studied and done to the next wannabe group of Olympians that were out there training. It was a good time. It was also in 1972 that I gave my life to the Lord, dedicating my life to serving Him. And it's interesting, but I took the same approach to being a new believer as I took athletics. I read the books, John Stott, Basic Christianity, J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small. And we would study the Bible to look for techniques on prayer and fasting and giving and serving. And we watched other believers, those that were a little bit ahead of us, those that had gone before, who'd already been walking this faith life, and we tried to observe their life to say, what are they doing? What do we want to emulate that we can become more like them and ultimately become more like Christ? And interesting enough, I didn't know it at the time, but I would go on to study Bible and theology in college and spend the next 20 years as a youth pastor and the last 12 working at a college, taking what I know of faith, what I've tried to live out, and passing that along to the next generation as well. This is what our summer series here is all about. In conjunction with the Olympics, it is called the arena, inspiring a generation of champions. And one of our key verses is from Psalm 78, which was read earlier, and it says this, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. What a great goal that is for us to be able to take our faith, take what we've learned, and to be able to give that along, pass that along to those that are coming up and inspire them to live the life as well. But it occurred to me when I read that, that, that we need to do something first. We need to be the generation. We, we need to be the ones that are studying, the ones that are figuring out. If I had not studied pole vault and been a pole vaulter, I could not teach that well to those that came behind. Therefore, in the Christian life, there's some things I have to do first before I think I'm going to pass anything along to the next generation. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at a piece of scripture from our training manual, the Bible. And this would be a good time to get out your message notes. Uh, all the verses that I'm going to read or refer to are on your notes, as well as on the screen behind me. And there's also some fill-ins that I'm going to have you fill a few words in later on. But let me read to you from Hebrews 12, 1, and the first part of 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So the first thing that we need to do to be able to uh, understand how to live now and then inspire the next generation is to learn from the examples before us. Fill that in, to learn from the examples before us. It says we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith. Well, the first word in this passage is the word therefore, so then we need to find out what it is. Therefore. And so you've got to go back a little ways. We're in chapter 12. Let's go just jump to, to, to 11. 
And it, in my Bible, it's actually entitled Great Examples of Faith. Sometimes it's known as the Bible Hall of Faith. And these are the people that we're going to be looking at this summer. People like Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, Moses. These are those in the arena. These are the great examples. I, I believe ordinary people that did extraordinary things in the life of faith to help us, to show us, so that we can come behind them. We can see their examples. We can emulate. We can follow. And we try and become more like them, ultimately becoming more like Christ. These are the people in the arena that have gone before us. They have finished the race with honor, and they're an encouragement to us when we stumble. It says we're surrounded by a crowd. In the original language, it actually uses the word cloud. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Now, the Greek word for cloud is not one detached, solitary, sharply outlined cloud, but it is a great mass of clouds which encovers the entire visible space of the heavens. It's all-encompassing and surrounds you. Like when you're descending in an airplane. I have a picture here. From above clouds down. I was on my way from Lima, Peru to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And as we were approaching Brazil, these clouds popped up. Have you ever taken a picture? And even as you're snapping it, you go, this will not do it justice. There's no way what I saw can transfer to film or digital. But I took it anyway. And it was unbelievable. And as we came down into these huge just billowing clouds and eventually we went right into them we were completely surrounded engulfed by these clouds and i looked out every window in every direction and you know what i saw clouds we were surrounded by clouds when you're running a race in a stadium or an arena you are surrounded by spectators there is nowhere in that stadium that you will run that a spectator or the crowd in the arena cannot see you and likewise, you can look up and see them as well. You are there to do your best, to do what you've trained to do. Those in the arena are there to cheer you on so that they can be the ones to help you achieve the goal that you want to achieve. So it says in the scripture, we're surrounded. We are enveloped by this great examples of faith. We look up to them. We look to them for inspiration. Their lives, their stories are the things that cheer us on in this race that Scripture calls the life of faith. It says they are witnesses, a great crowd of witnesses. One writer described the word witness this way. The importance of this word lies in the fact that they bore witness or testimony to God's sovereign grace and faithfulness. He goes on to say, think of the term witness as meaning testifier or example. He says, the stress is not on the idea that they, the crowd, are observing us so much, but rather that we're looking to them. We are studiously observing them as exemplary individuals who set the pace for endurance and faith. Hmm. I was thinking, though, there are people I look up to in Scripture. Absolutely, there, there's a number of people. But there's also people in my life, a great crowd of witnesses that have been a part of my life who I've looked up to, tried to emulate. And perhaps there's some for you too. They may have people who have gone on ahead. Perhaps they've died. They've passed on. But you remember how they lived. You observed their Christian life. You wanted to be like them. Perhaps they're still around. They're just a step or two or three ahead of where you are in your walk. And again, you look to them. How do they live? What are they doing? I want to be like that because I want to be like Christ and they appear to be like that. There are many of those examples in my life. There was a man named Pete Cantu. P. 
Pete was a Young Life leader. That's a, a Christian organization. And he saw something in me before I gave my life to Christ. Before I gave my life to Christ, he picked me out of a crowd and wanted better things for me. A man named Kurt Wilson. Pete went to Kurt, to a public high school counselor, and said, I need some kids to go to camp that are going to grow up to be leaders in this thing called Young Life. And I was called into the public high school counselor's office and asked to go to a Christian camp. Really? Probably illegal, but done nonetheless. And, and Kurt became a great mentor of mine. Bryce Jessup, former president for 27 years of William Jessup University. And I've been at the college 13 years now, or starting my 13th year, but I've known Bryce a lot longer than that. Amazing man of faith, man of God as a leader, as a friend. And I've been able to observe these guys and say, what is it about them? And then I want to be like that. What about you? Who in the Bible do you look up to as a person of faith? The Apostle Paul, Ruth, King David? And what about in your own life? Who have been there? Who are those models of the Christian faith that you have looked up to and tried to emulate? A mother or father, perhaps? A youth pastor? A friend? I actually want you to think about this for a minute, and there's a few lines in your message notes, blank lines down here. I want you to fill them in. Think of three people. It can be a, a biblical character, a person that you've taken some of life from, or it can be a real person, a person that has had an impact on you. And I want you to just think for a moment, 30 seconds, and just mark a few names down, and then we'll move on. I had the opportunity a while back to, to thank one of the three people on my list. And it was interesting because the person had such an impact on me as a young person. I ultimately came to Christ as a result of this man's influence on my life. And then we'd lost contact for years, and, and he still loves the Lord, but he's had a hard life. Hasn't been everything he'd hoped for, and he felt at times like, like he'd accomplished nothing. And it was just so beautiful for me to go back to him and say, hey, you did something. You did something in my life, and that has impacted other lives. So perhaps there's a name on your list. If it's a, a biblical character, you'll just have to offer that up to Jesus and let him go thank those people, I suppose. But if it's a real person, have you done that? Have you taken the time for these examples of faith in your own life, motivators of your faith, to go back and thank them? Send them a note, write them a letter, chat with them on Facebook? and say, thank you so much for what you did. Think about that. We're going to move on. The second thing that Scripture tells us to do, to understand how to live now and then be able to inspire the next generation, is to lighten our load. Fill in the word lighten. Lighten our load. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I picked up a pair of these recently. Uh, no runner would strap up boots to sprint in. No runner would do that. They want the lightest thing possible. The lighter the shoe, the faster the time. These are called the New Balance Minimus. It is the minimum, minimum amount of anything you would want to wear on your foot and still run fast. At least that's what the commercial says. And I believe them. I can barely feel this in my hand. It is so light. There is almost nothing to this. 
That's what a runner wants to be able to run well, is to have a light load. But that's not really what this scripture is talking about. It's not talking about a shoe or clothes. It's talking about sin. It's talking about the weight of guilt that wears on a believer's life as they do things that are against God, against his nature. When we do things, and we all do, they're contrary to what God would have us do. And we begin to feel that weight building in our lives. I'd mentioned I was on my way back from... uh, Oh, let me do a couple things first here. Uh, I ran the high hurdles in college. The high hurdles are 10 42-inch barriers in 110 meters that you've got to cross over. And I can't tell you how many times it was either myself or I was in a race or I observed a race where the winner was clear. There was obviously a superior athlete. He'd gotten far out ahead of everyone else in the hurdles and he was going to be crowned champion of that particular race. But he only made it through nine hurdles. And there's always that tenth one. And I've seen so many athletes catch a piece of their ankle, get a little tiny piece of their toe on that last hurdle. It trips them up. They stumble. They fall to the ground and they're passed by the other competitors. We don't want to trip up. We do not want to fall and stay down in this life of faith. We don't want to do it at the beginning of our time. We don't want to do it in the end. And we certainly, at the end of our life, at the end of being a believer and following Christ, we do not want to be tripped up. And that's what the scripture is encouraging us to do, is identify that and move beyond that. The passage actually uh, we're looking at says, the sin. The writer of Hebrews doesn't designate what sin that is. He leaves it up to us because we know We know what it is that weighs us down. We know what sin it is that is the likely one to trip us up. And so the writer doesn't say that. It just says the sin that trips you up. So what is the sin for you? What is it that trips you up in your Christian walk? Is it envy, pride, lust, greed? So I mentioned that I've been to Brazil. I was pulling into Sao Paulo. I just got back from a third trip of taking some students from William Jessup University. This time, nine students, one actually from our church. It's a student at the university. And we go down and we work with a ministry down there called Restoration Ministries in the town of Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo has 20 million people. Get your head around that number for a minute. 20 million people. And so this ministry goes into these little communities or what they call favelas and they uh, do programs for them. The program is called Ajita. Ajita. I asked a few years ago, what does Ajita mean? And they told me it means jump around like crazy. So they go into these communities and do a program that the kids come out to called Let's Jump Around Like Crazy. I think I would go to that program myself. And so we do a program there. Then we go into four different communities. At the end of the week, 50 of these kids are chosen, and they are, they are allowed to come to a camp about two hours outside the city of Sao Paulo, up in the mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous, green everywhere. For many of these kids, it's the first time out of their community, first time to ever even see a swimming pool. And we then, our team from the college, we do the Bible stories and we do the crafts and we do the games and we hang out with the kids and we work with them. It's just a lovely time. But Restoration Ministry tells us 
what we are to, uh, the message we're to give in the, in the favela. We choose the camp one. But in the favela, they know these kids and they, they're there every week. They're there all year round. And they want us to be a part of their bigger program. And they said, here's your challenge this year. You need to encourage the kids in the favelas to tell the truth. They lie about everything. Even when they can tell the truth, they just lie. So you guys do a program in these little communities that talk about telling the truth. So my team came up with this skit. And it pictures one of our students being a young man and he wakes up from his day and he knows it's going to be a good day. And he, he smiles and he yawns and he stretches and he begins to walk along his day. But as he goes, he encounters situations where the opportunity to tell the truth or to lie comes up. And he chooses to lie. And at first someone drops some money and he finds it, he picks it up and puts it in their pocket. And, and they come back and they say, did you see my money? He says, no, I, did, I didn't see it. And as soon as he turns and begins to take another step, the Satan figure in our little drama opens up the little backpack that the young man is wearing and drops in a stone. And the young man continues on his day, just slightly less light than he was a moment before. And he comes to another situation where a kid says, you want to play hide and seek? Remember, we're trying to do things that kids in the village from maybe 5 to 12 could relate to. So they play hide and seek. And when he does that, he cheats. He peeks. And then when the person says, you found me, did you cheat? He says, no, I, I didn't cheat. And as he turns to continue on in his life, the backpack is opened and the figure drops a slightly larger rock into it. Continues on a little more. At the end of the Ajita program, if the kids have been good, they all get a little bag of candy. And so he sat down and pretended like he was a kid in the program. And the leader came up and said, did you get your candy? And, and they gave him one. And another leader came up and said, did you get candy? And he said, no, I didn't get any yet. And all of a sudden, the backpack was opened and a big boulder was put in. And the young man couldn't get up. He stayed on the ground. The weight of what he had done weighed so heavy on him, he could no longer go anywhere. Isn't that what happens to us? Isn't that what the scripture is saying? That we become so weighed down, Satan puts rocks in our backpack that cause us to end up on the ground at a point where we cannot get up on our own. And it was at that point in our little drama that the young man turned to the Jesus figure. And he smiled at him. And the Jesus figure helped him to his feet. And then he began to go backwards through the day. I'm sorry, I, I took two bags of candy. Here's one. And he received forgiveness from the people and, and the backpack was opened and a rock was taken out. I'm sorry, I, I, I lied. I cheated at the game. You're forgiven. And the Jesus figure removes, removes another rock. And finally, I did find your money. Here it is. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. You're forgiven. And then the man rising up to full height, the young boy, the backpack is opened and the final rock removed. Now he can live. Now he can move. Now he can live the way that God would want him to live. It's such a simple illustration, such a simple skit, but such a powerful illustration. What are the stones in your backpack? What are the sins you are carrying that, as the scripture says, you need to strip off to be able to run lighter? What is it you need to remove from your life? What's tripping you up as you try to run this life of faith? Do you want to let go of those weights? Would you like to have Jesus open the, the backpack and remove the stones so that you 
can lighten your load and go forward. I'm going to give you another 30 seconds. You know, a lot of times we come, we hear someone speak, we leave, we go to lunch, we go about our day. And I don't think we can miss this particular point because this, this has to do with all of us. Take 30 seconds. What is it that's tripping you up? What are those stones in you that you've been carrying that you need Jesus to take away today so that you can live the Christian life better? 30 seconds and then I'll go on. The third thing that Scripture tells us to do to understand how to live now and inspire the next generation is to never give up. Never give up. It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The race referred to here is our lives. And this is not a sprint. It is a long-distance event. Let us run is actually in the present active form, which means let us keep on running. It's not one time as a believer, we run and we run and we run and then we wake up and guess what? We run some more and we run some more and we continue to run. And this verse encourages us to do that. Continue, let us run. It emphasizes that Christ followers actually have a course to complete. There is a goal to reach and we have to exert effort to be able to move toward that goal. And I know many of you have memorized this scripture from from long time ago in different versions, Philippians 4.13, because this is where we get our strength. It says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Some form of this word endurance is used 32 times in the New Testament. It includes things like perseverance, steadfastness, constancy, and even being patient during trials. So enduring is the characteristic of a person who's not swerved from their deliberate purpose, not, not going off path from the loyalty of their faith. By even the greatest trials and the greatest struggles, they are able to keep persevering and enduring and going straight ahead. Take Olympic hopeful Oscar Pistorius as an athletic example. Oscar was born in November of 1986 in Johannesburg, South Africa. He was born with what is called congenital, congenital absence of the fibula in both legs. When he was 11 months old, both legs were amputated halfway between his knees and his ankles. You can imagine the struggles he grew up with learning to walk with prosthetic legs. And I can also only imagine how he must have suffered with cruel children around him who would taunt him and call him names. And by those that would show up and say, you'll never be anything. You're not good for anything. But Oscar never gave up. He actually has been given a nickname by others. But this one's positive. He's known now as the Blade Runner. The fastest man with no legs. Isn't that a great picture? Great picture. The fastest man with no legs. He just recently achieved the A qualifying standard for the 2012 Olympics and is right at this moment attempting to make the South African track and field team. His sporting motto is this, you're not disabled by the disabilities you have, you are able by the abilities you have. Oscar never gave up. On a side note, I was reading his uh, information page and it says, Oscar Pistorius is a professing evangelical Christian growing up in a Christian home. Let's pray he makes the Olympics and we can watch him. That'd be fun. Some of you are enduring trials right now. I, I know. 
I know some of your stories, bits and pieces. Financial, dif financial difficulties, relational issues, and, and some pretty serious health problems. And this scripture tells you, you can do it. You can make it through these trials because Jesus Christ is your strength. In fact, the passage of Scripture says it is a race that God has set before us. Imagine that. God set the race before you. God knows He has not only set the race, He is allowing you to go through whatever it is you're going through. He set the course. You're not on some random path. He set it. It's a course that He has designed for you to run. And then He just promises that there will be a crowd of witnesses around you that will support you and help you and that He will be there to be your strength as well. I remember wanting to quit. Uh, it was a high school cross-country race. It was one of those Indian summer, September, hot, humid, muggy days. And in the race before me, there was a young man who had taken off, and halfway through the race, he was overcome by the heat, by the humidity. He was too tired to go on, and he simply just fell to the ground. And the other competitors just ran right by him on their way to finish their race, and all of a sudden, out of the crowd comes people. People that run to him. They picked him up. They literally carried him physically off the field. They brought him over into the shade. They gave him cold water. And then it was my race. <laughs> and I remember, I remember as if it was yesterday, I can picture running along a fence. And, and it is at the exact same place where that runner had fallen down. I thought to myself, I, I could fall down. If I fall down right now, people will come from the sides. They will lift me up. They will take me to the shade and they will give me cold water. I was so tempted to quit because that would have been the easiest way out. In the end, I knew what I'd trained for and I kept going and I finished that race. But some of you may feel pretty tempted to quit. Maybe you feel like you're absolutely overwhelmed. You're ready to collapse. You need to remember that there are people on those sidelines who are already running to you, already picking and propping you up, bringing to you the shade. There are good people around you who are offering you cool refreshment that are there to help you, to get you back into that race so you can keep going. So never give up. And there's a fourth and most important point to understand how to live now and inspire the next generation. And it is to focus purposefully on the goal. Focus purposefully on the goal. The scripture says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Last year, I signed up to ride my bike around Tahoe with my father-in-law. It's a pleasant 75-mile jaunt around the lake uh, with a couple of quite challenging hills. One is in Emerald Bay. It is a shorter and yet steeper hill the other one, and I know many of you have gone that direction out to the men's retreat and other retreats and other parts of Tahoe, Spooner Junction. Six miles of just consistent uphill. So I knew in order to do this, I had to focus. And my focus had to be on the way that I trained. I had to take on some hills. Now, living where we live, that's not really hard. My driveway is one such hill. But I needed to take on some short, steep hills, and I needed to take on some long hills. I also needed to be able to endure. So I had to focus my training on the fact that I couldn't just ride 10-mile rides. I had to get on my bike and go a distance. One day I jumped on my bike in Lake of the Pines and I rode down to Folsom. And then I went along the river trail. 
And then I rode back up to Rockland. I had to do 50 or 60 or 70 mile rides to be able to complete what I wanted to complete. And ultimately, my training and my focus paid off in what was an absolutely just gorgeous, beautiful ride around the lake. Our goal isn't to make it around a lake. Our goal is to live each day for Christ. Our goal is to be the kind of followers of Jesus that he would want us to be. Therefore, we need to focus on how to do this. And the scripture is clear when it just simply says our focus is to be on Jesus. He is the ultimate champion. He's the ultimate example of faith. He's gone before us. He has shown us the way. Keeping our eyes on Jesus or focusing on him means to not be distracted by those things in life that are trying to slow us down. All those rocks that, G, uh, that Satan is attempting to put in our backpack. We cannot be dissuaded. We cannot go off the track that Jesus has for us. We need to focus on him to keep going. We need to push forward with all the strength that God provides for us. I think the Apostle Paul was contemplating this when he wrote in Philippians 3. He says this, Not that I have obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Two times in this little section, he uses that phrase, press on. And he talks about straining towards the goal. The Apostle Paul understands that the, li the, life is the life is not easy. The Christian walk is not easy. There's obstacles, there's barriers, there's things to overcome. But we can do it, is what he's saying. We need to continue to press on, to strive, to never give up. And we can do this with all the help that God will give us. The Greek word to describe Jesus as the initiator or some versions maybe you've memorized or known was author of our faith is actually a compound word. It means to lead and the first. So Jesus was the first to lead. He was the first to set the pace for faith, to show us how to live, to be that example that then we would come behind and follow. And he perfected our faith by his death, his resurrection, and a promise of new life to all who believe in him. This alone should provide us with this strength we need to continue our journey. So once we learn from those godly examples before us, we lighten our load by confessing our sin. We learn to persevere. We never give up. And fourth, we focus purposefully on the goal with our eyes on Jesus. Then and only then, can we accomplish what the psalmist asks us to do in Psalm 78 when he says this? We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. And we'll be able to do that because we ourselves will know about his glorious deeds. We will have experienced his power and we will see his wonder in our own lives. And then we're worthy of telling the next generation. Let me end with one more story. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to run a half marathon with my son-in-law, his mom, and many other family members. Uh, we ran it as a fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Hospital, a fantastic organization. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as prepared, or I hadn't trained as hard as I had hoped to for this thing, but I felt adequately prepared to at least finish 13.1 miles. And it was a stunning day in San Francisco, mid-70s, not a cloud in the sky. Absolutely perfect day for a run. 
and the, the course went out over the Golden Gate and then underneath it and came back along the other side. And I remember as I was running with my son-in-law that as we were going one way on the Golden Gate, those that would eventually be first, second, and third place were going back the other way. But it was cool. It was encouraging. We saw them, their stride. They were strong. It looked good. And for me, it motivated me because I saw who was ahead of me and I saw what could happen and I was motivated to keep going. Well, I did pretty well and I was on pace till about mile 10, at which point I began to feel the effects of the lack of training that I had done. And at that point, my son-in-law sprinted ahead like a cheetah and left me with what I refer to as stones of uh, shoes of bricks. I couldn't move my feet. All of a sudden, it's as if I couldn't walk. I was down to just a mere shuffle, trying to convince myself that I could make these last three miles. And I did, and I pushed on, but all of a sudden, I heard something. It was the sound of cheering. It was the sound of a crowd. And I came over a little hill and around a corner along the water, along the wharf, and there it was the arena, the crowd, people lined up for a block and they were screaming for me. Some of these people had been those that had finished quite a long time ago and now are hanging around to watch people like me struggling to finish. Others had just come to cheer their friends and family on. And when they saw that we were wearing the St. Jude hero shirts, they erupted in cheers knowing that what we were doing was for such a good cause. And I remember all of a sudden feeling like, like I just started the race, like I was running on clouds and that I could sprint towards the finish. <laughs> and I did. And as they cheered on, I waved to the crowds. And I, I finished like I was finally the Olympic champion I always wanted to be. And I came across with my hands held high, feeling like a champion. Sometimes in life, we're the runner. Sometimes we've got our feet feel so heavy we can barely go. And we're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And the Christian life can be difficult. And we're trying to make it. And we need to keep persevering and keep going. Sometimes we're the crowd. Sometimes we're in the arena. We're ahead of people. We've been there, done that. And hey, guess what? I can help you through that. Sometimes we've already finished a portion of life and now we can hang around and encourage those that are still coming. That's my goal for you today. That you would do both. That you would recognize that as you run the life of a Christian, that it's not easy, but it's possible. That there are great crowds and clouds of people surrounding you, desiring to help you. That they are in the stands cheering for you, even some who have gone before you, cheering for you to keep running and keep persevering. But don't forget to always turn around and look behind you because there are people back there as well, people who are still struggling, people who need that kind of encouragement that you can bring as a runner that's just ahead of them. Be both the runner and be the crowd of witnesses inspiring others on. And we all want to be able to finish this race strong. Let me pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to understand better a little piece of your scripture. Help us to run hard, Lord, to persevere, to never give up. And yet to realize the people that you've surrounded us with, this church body alone is proof of that. 
friends and family and those that care. Help us to rely on them. And when we can, Lord, help us to be those type of people, the ones that can throw our arms around people that are hurting and be able to help them along the way as well. Lord, I pray if there is anyone in here today who's never given their life to you, they've never said, Jesus, come into my life, and they feel weighed down by the the rocks in their backpack, by those things they know that they've been doing that are not right, that you would allow them with a simple prayer of, Lord, come into my life. As much as I know about you, I accept you into my life, Lord. I want to live for you. Help by that prayer alone for that backpack to be opened. And Jesus, would you remove those stones, lighten their load, that they can live completely for you. Help us, God, as we desire to live for you each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.